Before we get started, I wanted to give another little shout out to Bijan Rizvani for solving some technical issues we had and, uh, well, for making this episode possible. Thanks, man. I'm Brian Foster, and this is the Grindhouse Institute. On each episode of this podcast, Jeremy Floyd and I program a triple feature movie night. Each of the movies share common themes, and we discuss them here. We're happy you could join us for today's block we call A Sign of the Times. Born in 1958, Prince Rogers Nelson is widely regarded as one of the most influential and greatest musicians of all time who could play a love song just as easily as a face-melting guitar solo. A musical virtuoso who we unfortunately lost far too soon in April 2016. Today we're stepping out of Lake Minnetonka and into the films of Prince. In the early 1980s, Prince obtained a deal to star in a major motion picture. The film was a massive hit, grossing over $72 million worldwide and winning Prince an Academy Award for Best Original Score. That score became an album that sold more than 13 million copies in the U.S. and spent 25 consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. Following this massive success, Prince wrote, directed, and starred in two more films, one being a sequel to the first. The Kid, an up-and-coming frontman, performs with his band, The Revolution, at the hottest nightclub in the Twin Cities. The Kid is trying to achieve greatness, but his antagonistic relationship with his father, his bandmates, his lover, and a rival band led by Morris Day are trying to stop him. Or are they trying to help him? Prince makes his debut as an actor, giving some amazing on-screen performances in the semi-autobiographical film 1984's Purple Rain. Christopher Tracy and Tricky are two gigolo con artists who make their living swindling wealthy dowagers along the French Riviera. This pseudo-comedy, drama, experimental film was initially directed by Mary Lambert, who left the project due to, right, we've heard this before, creative differences. So Prince stepped in to complete the production. This is Under the Cherry Moon from 1986. The Kid is back. Now a co-owner of the club, Glam Slam, the Kid faces the possibility of losing his club to, yep, you guessed it, Morris Day. The Kid challenges Day to a music battle to see who can write the best song. Classic rivalry. You know the drill. This is 1990's Graffiti Bridge. Thank you for listening to the Grindhouse Institute. Please enjoy. Nope. Wanna know why? Nope. Because you wouldn't pass the initiation. What initiation? Well, for starters, you have to purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. What? You have to purify yourself in Lake Minnetonka. Uh, we're gonna have to do that one more time. Uh, oh. Sorry, because I, I have to say, Recosto. <laughs> Recosto. <laughs> If you was gonna go get a Sam <laughs> Cooke album, where would you go? Recca stuff. <laughs> All right, I'm done. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Honey, don't you know I so lap the waves out your head? Man, I have never seen nobody chase girls the way you do. I'll stop chasing girls when you stop chasing dreams. Bonsoir. Good evening. Ah, so you do have normal clothing. Well, I hate these clothes. I think it's a vast improvement. Where's Tricky? We ran back to Carter Fetch's manor, shall we? Welcome back to the Grindhouse Institute. I am Brian Foster. Here with me, as always, is Jeremy Floyd. Hello, and how are you? Hey, how's it going? 
Haven't been uh, on this podcast in a long time. I know. It's, uh, yeah, it's been about 24 it's hours. It's almost as if we, we recorded yesterday. <laughs> yeah, other than that, I'm doing pretty good. I, I just listened to the latest Apollonia 6 album after cleansing myself <laughs> in the cool waters of Lake Minnetonka. It's <laughs> been waiting to say this since seeing Purple Rain. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, we have a very special episode. And with this special episode, we have some very special guests. Jeremy, please uh, do the intros. Yeah, uh, so kind of wanted to do a dive into some uh, some Prince movies, uh, you know, kind of a, I don't know what different side of movies um, where the uh, film itself kind of plays second fiddle to the pop star, um, you know, not necessarily unique to Prince, um, mm-hmm. but uh, this is sort of at the heart of the MTV era, and maybe like that would play a role in sort of like you know boosting the sales or whatever uh, type of thing, and like and that was kind of the the main. Uh, motivation behind some of this stuff, but I thought uh, it'd be better to have instead of me kind of fumbling around in the dark with my uh, analysis of this pop culture uh, and my own interpretations, I wanted to bring in some experts to the conversation: the uh, ethnomusicologists Levon Williams and Langston Wilkins. Welcome, guys. Yep. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Appreciate it. Definitely, this was uh, this was very exciting, and as we were talking about pre-recording here, um, this is the first time I've seen these films. Um, I didn't know that Under the Cherry Moon and Graffiti Bridge even existed. I knew, of course, <laughs> knew Purple Rain, um, knew it more for the music and the album more than I did of the the movie itself. I never got to see the movie, um, and it was interesting. I watched these actually in the order of uh, Under the Cherry Moon, and then Graffiti Bridge, and then Purple Rain. Not knowing that, I guess Graffiti Bridge is somewhat of a an un, a sequel in a way. Um, yeah, one piece, and I, yeah. I kind of picked that up later, but yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, like starting, I mean, that order is is super interesting to me. Um, <laughs> is there a reason that you did it in that order, yeah. Brian? Out of curiosity. No, it it just kind of ended. I, well, I think it was kind of from our conversation that we had before when we met before this podcast. Got you. And you guys had mentioned that you know Purple Rain's good. And then the other two are a little questionable in terms of quality. And so I kind of went in the order that you guys, you know, the, the order of quality, I guess you guys kind of conveyed. bad to less um, bad, yeah. <laughs> so the movies progressively got better as I, as I, watched, as I watched them. That's so smart. Yeah. That's so smart. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, you're right. Finish on a high note. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I have, I have to say Purple Rain rocked real hard like that was a really <laughs> awesome movie and literally i, I yeah. couldn't stop like moving when i was watching it and it was great yeah i was kind of surprised to i don't know it's like these three in particular um i guess these were the only three films prince uh did like actual films not concert films you know where, where he's the star i should say anyway um and you know under the cherry moon i, I was expecting it to be more of a musical i know it was uh, kind of tied in with parade mm-hmm. but uh, not really musical. <laughs> not at yeah, all. Not in a direct way, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, a straight, uh, I don't know, uh, melodrama. <laughs> so do you guys know anything about like the background of that one? Because it, it feels like this was, you know, kind of an experimental piece, um, you know, more in line with trying to do a couple different versions or different genres, never really grasping onto one of them. But really, you know, it was kind of a slapsticky old school movie. Um, it was, you know, uh, a con man type film, like, you know, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels or something mm-hmm. like that. But mm-hmm. and it was all over the place. It was it was really interesting. Yes, it's true. It had a little Dirty Rotten yeah. Scoundrels. <laughs> <laughs> Especially like, I don't know, even the Riviera part of it, too. Yeah. 
Man, uh, where to, where to even start with that? Uh, uh, <laughs> where to start, start with Under the Cherry Moon? I, I mean, I think, so I do, I do want to tr- maybe try to go in chronological order, but to answer your question, here's my thoughts, and Langston, you can uh, mm-hmm. uh, chime in on this as well. I think that people were, there are low expectations for Purple Rain, the film, and that mm-hmm. being what it did, doing what it did, I think that just gave print, carte blanche to do what he wanted next Absolutely, and yeah. this is what he chose to do and that, right, that that's right. my guess yeah under the cherry moon felt like uh i guess what they call in basketball a heat check right so you know prince is hot he's hitting it out the park or you know shooting threes or whatever <laughs> and uh he wanted to see i think he wanted to see the limits right of his creativity and what and, and how america would receive his artistry and you know, I think it's debatable whether um, he was still hot or not in terms of that attempt, right? Ah, no, so, for, um, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's debatable for sure. It, it's funny because it's like, oh man, oh god, you're killing me over here. Um, <laughs> it's funny because like you know, when I was, uh, you know, I, I rented these movies uh, to to for, for this film block, and I was kind of like you know scrubbing through uh, 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 Graffiti Bridge in particular, and I was thinking like. Just as a kind of an overall thought I had, you know, even before watching Graffiti Bridge. So I'd, I'd seen, you know, Purple Rain or at least uh, definitely parts of it on TV uh, over the years. Uh, and uh, it was good to kind of watch it all uh, together and also unedited mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for, for TV uh, here. Um, I, you know, never seen um, Graffiti Bridge. I was aware of the album, um, but uh, definitely not even aware of Cherry Moon until we started doing this. But it's funny, I had this uh, thought, my sort of initial thought before even sort of watching the movies, but just kind of like uh, getting a sense of what each of these were, like the aesthetics of them, you know, was that like, you know, Prince uh, had this style of like the, the sort of sense of theatricality, maybe inspired by George Clinton and, and that the, the, the parliament world. I mean, you know, who makes a, a cameo in uh, <laughs> in Graffiti Bridge? Um, and, okay, so he's super hot off of 1999, uh, which came out in 82, goes into doing Purple Rain, uh, and, you know, arguably at the top of his game there, kind of like you're, you're saying, Levon. Uh, and then by the time we get to 90, you know, it's like pop music had started to change, right? It's like... The NWA was already on the scene. Nirvana was right around the corner. Okay. This is like, you know, it wasn't sort of cool to be joyful and loud and fancy anymore. That The sort of like dour, like nihilism of the 90s was about to kick in. And everything was sort of heading in the other direction uh, with, with Prince, right? It's like he's still going down this path of like, you know, uh, the, the super loud costumes and like, you know... Uh, <laughs> Uh, what's his name from the the, the time? Morris Day. Uh, like Morris Day. Huh? Mor- yeah, yeah. Mor- Morris, Morris Day. Day. Like like wearing uh, the like the the you know yellow zoot suit and all this stuff. You know, it's like Yo, he was great. Wild, wild, wild. To me, actually, in watching Graffiti Bridge, like Morris, you can go. All right, he was a product of his time. Prince is still uh-huh. like Prince, and his if we want to talk costumes, like he has a costume that he wears during the sequence for. Um, Thieves in the Temple, that's like some, I mean, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's a callback to like, I think the controversy era and mm-hmm. the Dirty Mind era where it's like almost like stockings, like garters a little bit. It, it, it's, yeah. I mean, 
whereas I can go, all right, Morris was kind of like in that, like you're saying, in that space of Zoot Suit is classic, so it at least has some some connection, but Prince is always on some complete other shit. And like, that's the guy that's Prince right. is, is kind of like an alien. Like, he, he is like, he's totally outside of all the rest of our human experience. Right. And like, you know, we, we, can't, we can't look at him through that lens anyway. <laughs> but what, I guess what I was just trying to say was like that, like the connection that this, like the first film, you know, was able to connect with the audiences that way because he was right in his like, like zone there. And then, you know, he had kind of stayed in his world and the culture it was starting to shift exactly. is what I, what I was trying to yeah. get at exactly. with, with, uh, with that yeah. explanation. You can see it and hear it. Yeah. And yeah. Bridge for sure. Yeah. What order did you watch them in Jeremy? Also, I, I think like just like the music of purple rain. I mean, it's like that whole album is so fucking classic oh, yeah. and it's just like, <laughs> you know, he's also at the top of his game just in terms of like his, uh, a lot of his like musicality and whatever it was, you know, his, his songwriting and everything. Um, and then you know, Graffiti Bridge, you know, had some great songs. The like the what's the, the what's the temple? I'm, I'm like thieves in right the now. temple, thieves in the temple. But it's like you know, so so that that's another thing where it's like you know the the music isn't quite as just like on fire as it is with Purple Rain. Uh, but mm. yeah, to answer your question, Levon, I I watched them in chronological order. It was just Purple Rain, Cherry Moon, Graffiti Bridge. You I'm know. sorry for. Uh, 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 saying whatever I said that made Brian decide to watch them out of sequence. Uh, my, my, my bad. I can't remember what I said. Probably was a little disparaging. Uh, but I'm sorry that whatever I did made you not watch them in chronological order. No, it was it was all good. Um, I still think I got the full effect of all of them. I can't imagine you having anything disparaging to say about this <laughs> Sorry, Brian. What were you saying? <laughs> No, no. Tell, tell, you, you said you wanted to start with um, Levon. You said you wanted to start with um, you wanted to go chronological. So yeah. you know, I'd love for you to yeah take off, um, please. So I mean, for me, so it's been a while since I had watched Purple Rain. Uh, so it was good to kind of just reacquaint myself with that movie, that aesthetic, that time. Also mm-hmm. thinking about my experience with Prince, and I mean, it came. This came out in 1984. I was a kid, so I didn't watch it immediately, obviously. And even, you know, at that period of time, there was, to an extent, a dichotomy between, like, like Prince, for how I grew up, it was like, I, could, I didn't have access to Prince like that. Like, my pops could watch a Prince movie. <laughs> I could never watch a Prince movie. Everything about him was a little too risque for me uh-huh. at that at time. So he was kind mm-hmm. of... Uh, his his entire aesthetic while i was very aware of him musically it was like he was he was bad like you know what i mean like, like taboo, I, yeah, yeah taboo that, that's artist. the word i'm looking for yeah like yeah it was yeah. kind of a taboo kind of a like adult very adult and i was a kid and so there sure. the two shall meet you know that was hypersexualized kind of, yeah. in the, especially <laughs> yeah. in these yeah. films you know like yeah. whew, it's 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 in your face sexualized it's, that's interesting. It's I grew up in a Prince household. I feel like, um, mm. you know, my dad had the, the Dirty Mind album. And I remember, you know, looking through his records and seeing Prince in the, on the cover in the panties and, and shirtless and, uh-huh. and all that. And, <laughs> you know, around the world in 80 days, right? So Prince was very much uh, a staple of my the sonic atmosphere of my household. And, um, yeah. you know, but Purple Rain came out the year I was born, right? So I certainly didn't see it until um, I was of age of sorts. So, right. you know, Graffiti Bridge probably was the movie that, uh, you know, I first um, experienced Prince, right? Oh. And then I worked backwards. So, um, 
but no, and that was uh, ninety, right? That was that ninety, was full, right? So I was like six years decade. old, yeah, almost seven, right? So, 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 so you first. watched it the way Brian did, basically. yeah. I was gonna say, <laughs> in some ways, I mean, that's how I. I mean, Prince for me was the guy who, you know, had the perm and had his butt out on on the award show, and then of course, you know, I, <laughs> as I grew into my musical understanding, right? You know, I began to appreciate him as an artist, um, but. No, it's funny. Oh, no. Um, Did, didn't he already that. have that uh, perm, basically, or at least on the the cover of uh, what was the album where it? Uh, yeah, he had the, lover. the perm on. Was it 1999? He had the perm. Uh, that was uh, Prince. Or for, uh, self self titled. The self titled. Yeah. yeah. Self titled joint. Yeah, and then he cut it short, and then yeah, I guess he always had a perm. Right. <laughs> it's just length is the issue. Right? I think after watching these, it, it is it is absolutely clear that if you were to define a frontman to a band. This is exactly what you'd, you'd get. This is like the, the epitome of what the front man is. You know, it's like that loud, you know, that very like boisterous person, but at the same time, extremely talented and like down the line knows all the instruments can play anything. The way that he sits down at the piano in certain scenes of this or when he's strumming the guitar and stuff, it's just you're seeing this brilliance. And um, I think these, especially Purple Rain, I thought it showcased that part of him so well. You know, those especially those concert scenes. And I know that this is a Prince movie, but Morris Day's scenes when he was doing his concert thing, it's oh so God. fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we, oh, we, I was, I was awesome. <laughs> I, had a, I, I had a lot of fun watching. And, and like, you know, even though I say that, and I don't want to like dog movies ever, but, you know, even Under the Cherry Moon felt like there was like some things there that were like very brilliant. Like you could see like pieces of art in there. It just, you know, maybe didn't come together right. I think all these films are brilliant in their own way. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, even if the execution is bad, I can totally see where Prince was attempting to go with each film. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's certainly something to commend there. That opening sequence of Purple Rain to me, like, really encapsulates the like the impact of that entire movie. Like rewatching it for the podcast, I was like, yo, this right here. Everything like everything is like that. I mean, that's the movie, right? Like yeah, all of yeah. all of these sort of introductions of the characters. It's done so well, particularly Morris Day. Like you get you get mm-hmm. him exactly who he is in like maybe in a line. roughly you know twenty seconds of that entire mm-hmm. sequence, and then you get everything about Prince. To your point, Brian, in that in the performance of Let's Go Crazy. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's really all set up set up very well. I like that that sequence really really holds up in a way that i just did not recall so yeah i think that movie goes from you know these like you were saying that he was a very pop singer right it was like very loud very fun very dancey but you know there were moments in this film where you know especially with clarence williams the third that's his name Uh (laughs) especially when his father you know takes his life or tries attempts to take his life i mean that was one of the darkest scenes and the way that that was shot and like his visions of him himself killing himself and like it was just like you know, I thought it, I thought it was a great. Um, I know that it's not really a roller coaster, but it felt like it was some sort of emotional ride that you were on, and they did a really good job of capturing all that. I, I was actually gonna say, like, just in terms of like the film part of it, I, I, it's like that is something that like he does so well in his music of like, you know, starting off slow and like building to something like really strong. You know, Purple Rain, the song, is just a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. But in, in these scenes, he would just he would. You know, just turn corners and like and, and like and forget to connect. Have the connective tissue needed to like make the that turn, right? So it's like you think about the scene where you know he gets the guitar, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh wow, what is in this guitar-shaped box? Oh wow, it's a guitar." <laughs> and and then she's like, 
<laughs> she's like, yeah, it's a guitar. I'm gonna go check out Morris Day. What? What? <laughs> and he, like smacks right? her in the face. And and then That's it's just bad, like, yeah. And then and then he walks over to her, and it's a full makeup scene. Like, oh, it's all over. It's like it was it was like boom 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 boom. It was happening way too fast. And like in terms of like the drama and, and how the drama plays out, like like the sort of like non, the, the non musical porn scenes in, in the movie, like like th- that that's kind of how how things went. It's like you know there's like sort of no context. It was nothing but just the highs uh, of of a scene, like you know, and it kind of never came back down, and and never uh, uh, allowed you to get to that point of like writing with the characters that way like, you you could see it like let, let's say it, you looked at it in a, a bullet point sort of outline fashion You're like okay here's the story of the, this guy happening here he starts a relationship you know th- then this happens and it, th- then he goes like this and then it comes back and recovers it but like all that happened within like 30 seconds you're like whoa <laughs> it's just, you know it's like too fast to ingest uh, emotionally but in the music he he gets it perfectly where it's like you know he he knows how to like sort of like build to the emotions and you know, uh, you know when to punctuate, when not to, and it's it's funny you could see like them trying to do this thing in the the movie, uh, with with the dramatic part of it, it it's sort of like not you know coming together that way. But then again, I mean, w- what are you watching this movie for? Like, uh, <laughs> like the, the award winning performances or the award winning performances? <laughs> yeah, this felt like a movie built around several music videos. Yes, right? yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I exactly. mean, it felt like exactly. yeah, you know. I guess today we would call it you know a visual album sort of like you know like yeah. what Beyonce mm-hmm. does you know except you know Purple Rain had just slightly a bit more plot but barely any plot. Right. Similar yeah, exactly. to like the wall, like Pink Floyd, the, the wall. Things like that. Yeah, there's yeah cinema around the the music, and I think that that's that's a great way to explain Purple Rain for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's like a, it's like a kung fu film or something where it's like okay, let's just get to the fighting. Like uh, we didn't build the talking very well. Let's just let's just get to the fighting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, woefully underwritten, and and maybe that's the <laughs> issue with all three of those films. Um, I guess you know, last one you can kind of blame Prince for that since he's both a writer and director. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, Purple Rain having an actual screenwriter and having a professional director, right? You know, you kind of wonder why you kind of wonder the source of the pitfalls there, right? I, I, mm. my um, guess, and this is uh, like purely speculative, is that people again, people weren't like Prince was banking on himself, right? He was like, I have this idea, you know, I'm working with people to create this, but like, this is my vision and I'm going to show the world that like, you can't box me in, in any way. Like this is like, Mm -hmm. y'all thought 1999 was something. Let me show you what I really got up my sleeve. I've worked it (laughs) into my contract that Warner brothers has to give me a motion picture. They don't want to do it. And you know, there's all this kind of background that's happening in terms of even getting the movie made first director. I think, uh, uh, kind of the, the first person that he wanted to direct, stepped away um Mm. and so a lot of this is just sheer force of will for prince and and an opportunity for him to show like that he's fucking prince and um yeah and and i think that that to me that's probably like it's hubris in a sense but not we don't really see how bad the hubris is until the later film because to everyone's point this one really plays to prince's strengths which is music and music and visual performance uh of music i mean like I mean, every time I watch, dude, I'm like, man, it's, again, as a performer, to, to Brian's mm-hmm. point, it's he's just, I don't know. <laughs> Let me say this. Even in Graffiti Bridge, 
like when he hits that that James Brown split back up, like he's still, yeah. it's still, it's <laughs> with Chris. With the smirk? It's, it's and he gets the smirk right now? <laughs> it's, it's Chris, man. And that, you know, you see that in Purple Rain. You know, that's just like, my man's style is, is off the chain. So, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, the performance elements of, you know, all three of those films, there were, you know, fewer in Under the Cherry Moon, of course, were stellar. Mm-hmm. Like Prince, you know, was magnetizing and, and, you know, captivating and everything. Prince, as an actor, is just, it was it was a struggle, right? Because I yeah. felt like, you know, Prince, the performer, is already a character, right? Prince is a, you know, mm-hmm. was a woefully shy guy, right? He wasn't, you know, what he presented on stage, right? But which is interesting because, like, even in the films, like, like when he's not on stage, yeah, it, that is not what his characters are like. It, it, it's really wild, yeah. Right, right, and so I feel like in these films, he's Prince trying to play Prince, the performer we all we all know, and then mm-hmm. also trying to play these mm. characters, right? So there's like triple layers of performance here and I think he and maybe that complicates the matters right because he loses a bit of what we all enjoy about him you know the genius and creativity but Mm -hmm. also kind of the mysteriousness the otherworldliness I feel like a lot lot of that gets lost in his acting yeah yeah I agree I think that there's a um, especially in between you know the the dramatic scenes in Purple Rain to the final concert scene there is a dramatic disconnect with how comfortable he seems in front of the camera and you know delivering lines is one thing sometimes the little smirks that he would give or a little it's like <laughs> we could per, could have probably got another take on that one but but when he when he did those final concert shows you're just like you're seeing how smooth he is right. and like be, between going from like you said doing the dances laying down on the ground screaming at one point yeah. but in this like hyper it's amazing um, but yeah, it was it, it didn't it didn't match. <laughs> yeah, I, and I wonder if it, maybe it's it's something else. Maybe it's part partially sort of the writing, partially like you know yeah. not uh, allowing the the story to hold together in a way. I mean, because there were were certain moments even during the just the acting in all three of these movies where it's like you couldn't deny that the sort of magnetism that he had. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know, is it a matter of like the dialogue is just a little too corny? sometimes in bridge or or actually all three of them uh <laughs> or or is it like yeah sometimes he's uh uh yeah less convincing in a in a certain moment but yeah no matter what it like there was almost every single time there was something where it's just like yeah he is kind of like like kind of this alien quality we were talking about where it's like he's just he is something that we all can't recognize in ourselves because it's just so far you know outside of ourselves you know you mean he's and, something we could never comprehend is what you mean yeah exactly exactly <laughs> there we go <laughs> But but yeah, like that. But you know, <laughs> even when it is sort of not getting to a, like the expectations of uh, Kristen Scott Thomas or Clarence Williams III, you know, acting level, uh, it's not like um, some of the sort of third tier uh, musicians that are also trying to act here. It's like you know, he still has <laughs> a, a a level of you know magnetism. Ooh, oh, that struck a chord. <laughs> I, I think you need some time to respond. Oh man, you're gonna piss off like the whole Prince fan community. There we go. <laughs> what did Jeremy just do? Look, third tier in comparison to Prince. 
No, they were bad. Like, I, and I, you got, you know, <laughs> Grindhouse Institute is gonna be the one that gets the hate mail. So I don't, I don't have, I don't, I don't, I don't have any issues saying. That. Cut this part. Cut this part. I think that, um, I think that the revolution, if if the revolution says that the acting um, classes that they took felt like they really paid off for them, they are wrong. They like, they, like, in Brown Mark doesn't even speak in the film, but like. Wendy and, Wendy and Lisa, maybe I'll give them a little okay. bit of a pass, a, a little bit of a pass. But I they, mean, Fink has. They were one, okay. I, I know it's like they, they were like passable. Let's say Fink has one one line, and it's an, a line that is really uh, like super <laughs> sexist and like doesn't hold up over time. And like if that was my one line in Purple Rain, I'd be like, I wish they just fucking cut that scene. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's how bad like Fink's line is. Like and. Man, I don't he's know. the guy with the kind of purple hair and uh... Doctor Fink. I'm sorry, he's mm-hmm. the one in the uh, uh, in the surgeon outfit. Uh, <laughs> uh, his line is, um, you know, Wendy's upset because Prince is being oh. a dick about the songs, and he's like, "Oh, her period works in reverse." She's okay, yeah, that, that's terrible line. We were talking about the same yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah terrible, exactly. terrible line. Yeah. yeah, doesn't hold up, and it's bad. Right? <laughs> yeah. Bad performance and bad line. <laughs> yeah. I, l- I love Dr. Fink, but that's just a, that's a, a stain on his legacy for me. Yeah. But you make a good point, right, about elements of this film not holding up, right? And looking back on it, you know, I know this is 2020 lens and, you know, we're in a new, you know, day of understanding issues of sexism and misogyny. But man, you right. know, the domestic violence in the film and like the, the throwing the woman in the, tr- in the garbage dump, literally. I mean, in the trash can, literally, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Literally. It, it was just amazing to see, you know, from, you know, a film that emerges from Prince, who I thought, you know, always played with gender and sexuality and, and you know, mess with, you know, ambigu- you know, ambiguity and things like that in his music. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to see, you know, the treatment of women in Purple right. Rain, especially. I mean, even, you know, the famous scene of purifying yourself in the uh, waters of Lake Minnetonka, like, that's like a, that's a shitty, you know what I'm saying? Like, that whole situation is kind of shitty. I mean, she... She goes for it, I guess, and he does yeah. seem genuinely surprised that she did it. But like, yeah. and he didn't I, stop her. It had it had been a while since I watched it. I was like, "Yo, does he leave her here?" Like, like, <laughs> like, like yo. Well, well, and that was that's the part not of like the, the, the where, where, where yeah, he he's being a dick because it's like you know he he tries to he does try to stop her, but but she's like so like so insanely enthusiastic that she goes for it. And and before he could get out, that ain't Lake Minnetonka. That's what made her mad. <laughs> yeah, but then the, the part where he's being a super dick, he's like leaves her, and then he comes back and he's like, was gonna like leave her every Yeah, time. didn't let her get on the on the bike. It's terrible. It's like, what's going on? Just went on for too long. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a five year old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's kind of childish. It, it was hard for me. So in some ways, that love affair, which is like the core of the movie in a lot of ways, sometimes didn't like that. Their passion and love like for each other kind of just felt to Jeremy's point earlier, like we were hitting weird, uh, weird vibes throughout. And I was, I was, I was not able to figure out like, what is she like about this guy? Like that other than, I mean, he's Prince. What am I talking about? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. But I think that I, I think you bring up an interesting yeah. point because that was the only thing that she couldn't let go of was who this guy was as a performer and as a musician, but as a, as a person, as like a, as a, in a relationship with her, he wasn't that great to her. He wasn't, Horrible. I don't know. There was like one thing that she could just hang on. And that was, I think his performance or his performing. Mm. Of course. I mean, you know, part of that, 
you know, her understanding of him was that he was this tortured soul who came from, you know, a rough, I guess, household and upbringing. I mean, I think the fact that they undersold that and underplayed that part, you know, made the disconnection between her and him, I guess, much more um, prominent. Um, yeah, I, I was kind of really hoping that that would uh, be more of the movie, actually. Like, you know, because, like, it seems that that's what they were going for was that, like, mm-hmm. the domestic situation at home with his, his dad and his mom and, like, their constant fighting and then making up and constant fighting and making up. And leading to uh, his dad's, like, a suicide attempt. I, I thought that was going to, like, be more a part of, like, what, you know, his character, more part of, like, what inspired his music and all this stuff. It, like, I guess is sort of intellectually there. You can kind of maybe put the pieces together if you're, you're thinking about it. But it's it wasn't really something there where you, you could draw that connection uh, directly. Uh, and, you know, you, you certainly weren't feeling it while you were watching it. But I, I did find it, it was interesting... Later on, when we get that scene where uh, Clarence Williams III is playing the piano, and you know we, I guess, learned that he's a musician, but he you know didn't write anything down, and then it turns out he did. <laughs> a lot of them. He had a ton of songs. Right. But I mean, w- w- but wasn't like Prince's dad also like his actual dad, like a a, a piano player? I don't I don't know that. For, he was a musician. Uh, was yeah. he okay? Because mm-hmm. I'm like yeah. it, it's it's weird uh, how much of like real Prince and like. Purple Rain, the kid, mm-hmm. you know, has mm-hmm. gotten mixed up in a lot of ways. And there's a couple of things I want to talk about with that. But yeah, sure. uh, that scene with the father, I, I think for me, hit a little harder this time than before. Like this idea that like whatever demons were causing issues with his father, it was it also caused them to like really shit on his son in a lot of ways in a way that they, mm-hmm. they immediately could have connected. The father uses it as a way to be like, that's the difference between me and you. I don't even got to mm-hmm. write them down. Yeah, you might be bad, but you ain't as bad as me because I never had to write them down. <laughs> right, you know what right. I mean? And like that, that Clarence Williams really sold that, that tension for me. Like that, that moment in, a, in this whole over-the-top movie felt a little real, and I was, I, I was grateful for that. Another kind of smaller thing, I really want to talk about Morris Day too, but a, sm- yeah. a smaller player in this that really stood out to me for some reason was Billy, the club manager. Not a great actor, but his the scenes moved like really helped pull some of the story together that they were trying to yeah. put together. Particularly the scene where Billy is like, You're you know, you're gonna be just like your old man, like, you know, he messed everything up too, but you know, you could put you could put it together, but I, I don't know. I don't know. Some like for some reason in on this watch, I was like really appreciative of Billy's role in this yeah. movie mm-hmm. in a way that I had never been any of the other times I watched it. So because in a, in a way that that discussion then kind of forced Prince to say, you know, maybe I should open up about this song that my bandmates created, right? And I, I need to, you know, maybe there's something there. And then it turned into more of a personal song to him, even though, you know, it was written by uh, the two girls in the band. Um, and then I think that it was it was straight up dedicated to his father at that point, right? And I think that that, that was the impetus for him to f- find that personalization and connect to the music and then obviously it made everyone in the in the crowd just go nuts you know so it worked. I, 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 but actually everyone in the crowd start crying including the, sure. the the hardened uh club manager really <laughs> but they definitely wanted that encore and that's when that movie just goes crazy yeah <laughs> yeah i like <laughs> are you talking about like the very very end with like yeah. the sort of like God, jizzing awesome. guitar that then like cuts to a freeze frame or whatever so awesome <laughs> So awesome. 
That's a good way of putting that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I Would Die For You is just like a, a badass song. Mm-hmm. And like, that is like a, the quintessential performance of it. Like all of the like hands around the body, like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, Prince milks that so good. Like, I mean, yeah. it, it's, it, I mean, again, just consummate performance. I, a performer, and I, I can't say enough about that, and I'm sure people talk about it all the time. Really quick, though, definitely want to talk about Morris and Jerome and, like, mm-hmm. what I think they represent in this movie and why I think they, like, without them in the movie, the movie doesn't work at all, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> they, the, mm. That sort of comedic foil that they provide, this sort of very traditional, like, uh, mischief-causing hijinks, uh, more, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that Morris in particular sells it so well. <laughs> I mean, like, just like, just happens to have really great comedic timing. You know, at this point in their work together, you know, Prince and the Time have been working together for years. You know what I mean? And actually, this their relationship has fractured by the time we arrive in 1984, and they're doing this movie. So. You know, and Morris, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, uh, according to him, like really didn't want to be there. You know, this is something he was doing. He was going to get paid to do. But, you know, it was kind of like this is Prince's thing. And, and I'm, I'm feeling some kind of way about Prince right now. But wow. to, you don't know that in the, like you would never know that from watching the film because they seem kind yeah. of in sync in a way. And mm-hmm. he, although not wanting totally. to be there, gives a great performance throughout, particularly on the comedic side. Mm-hmm. And that that is really surprising. I, I you know, I I knew that they were in a band together, uh, and and then that you know Prince had broken off, or whatever. And I, I for some reason I had this impression that there was bad blood. But then yeah, I was like watching this. I was like, okay, well maybe not. Maybe this is like you know maybe I misremembered that or whatever. But yeah, it, it it's crazy. And, and so what's the idea then that like Morris uh, came back for Graffiti Bridge because what maybe the success of uh, Purple Rain? Well, the time had reformed, right? Yeah, they were they were they were in the process of recording a new album with the original lineup, which is not the lineup that's in Purple Rain, by the way. Um, mm. But and they were uh, what I the way I understand it is there was a they were working on a vehicle that would focus on the time specifically. And Prince, because of another project he was trying to do, basically would only like Graffiti Bridge would only be greenlit if it was seen as a sequel to. Purple Rain. So basically, oh. Prince had to merge these two projects, one of which wasn't even his, kind of together to uh, to get Graffiti Bridge made. And that's again, that's a little bit of that speculative, but that's that's and my understanding he, of it. Is he reprising the role as the kid yeah. in Graffiti Bridge? So mm-hmm. he's officially yeah. the kid in that one. Okay, yep. yeah. And then Morris is still Morris, yep. right? Um. So you you mentioned it was it was Morris and um. I'm Jerome. sorry, his partner who was tricky and. Uh, Jerome. 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 Hilarious. Um, Especially in Under the Cherry Moon, some of the things he says, (laughs) I was out loud laughing and just his, his, his comedic timing, I thought was, was, was excellent. And in in many ways, I think that that sold a lot of the comedy for Under the Cherry Moon. I think that made it successful. (laughs) Yeah, Jerome. It's kind of true, yeah. Jerome is, is, again, they, they work really well together. And it's interesting to me as we, whenever we shift to talking about Under the Cherry Moon, I feel like, so this is what, to take a step back, so Morris Day, the Morris Day that we all know is essentially a character. Like that's, that's a, it's an exaggerated version of him, but it's not yeah. even really that. It's something that he and Prince thought was funny, thought was funny in terms of like 
the classic black pimp, you know what I'm saying, who's just mm-hmm. too cool for school all, all the way around. Mm-hmm. And so they, <laughs> they turn that up to 11 in what becomes Morris Day's public persona, right? Uh-huh. And under the cherry moon, what I see is Prince saying, oh, that really was cool. I want that back. Like, I'll be, I'll be Morris this time. <laughs> and, I'll, I'll, and so much so that I'll also take Jerome with Jerome. me. Yeah. It'll be me and Jerome. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I'll also take your wingman. Yeah, right. exactly. Because so. <laughs> Prince was known for taking stuff back, right? I mean, right. It's, it's musical. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's a good point. I mean, I think we can get in the, under the cherry moon if you wanted to. I mean, we could start on that. Oh, oh, one last thing. Morris Day and Jerome, the, the moment that works so well for me that like says everything about them, and it's just like my personal, this is my personal thing, is the scene mm-hmm. where they're in the club, they're at the bar, and I forget, is, I don't know if Prince is performing or something. No, I, maybe uh, it's Apollonia 6 is performing. And like they, they, they look the other way, and they like both put on shades, and then like they slowly look at each other. And they, like they do that kind of like reaction, like that shit is so funny to me. Like I just, I love it, man. Those guys are, I, I love them both. So that's it. Under the cherry moon. So this was this was interesting. This is not at all what I thought that this movie. I didn't know what it, what to expect to be totally honest. But this is not what I would have expected, even if I expected anything. Um, as this is, Same. in many ways like a, a gigolo con man story, um, kind of like one of those old school uh, movies. And it was very slapsticky in, in, in parts. And, but a really odd mix of, you know, some somewhat questionable acting, but then some of the <laughs> greatest actors ever on screen are in this, you know, like, and it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I mean, I think Kristen Scott Thomas is, is amazing and she's great in this too. And the fact that she's in this movie is, is really odd. And she, I think she does a pretty good job uh, playing along with everything. Um, but she's more or less the target Mary um, for her trust fund for these two con men. And one, mm-hmm. they're both trying to court her in order to, I would say, win that money. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the best way to look at it. I was really surprised, like, too, I, you know, just based on, like, the the poster or, you know, whatever I had kind of um, seen of it. I, I thought for sure it was, okay, this is going to be a, a period piece. Also, supposed, you know, kind of a musical and I assumed that it was like gonna be uh, in the time of the aesthetic that it takes on, which is like sort of I don't know the the twenties, right? The Roaring Twenties. Yeah. Um, but it, it's not really. It's like it's basically it's the eighties, but <laughs> there's this like, or it's kind of this the twenties. It's like, which is fascinating because this is before uh, Batman comes out. Yeah, I knew you were gonna say Batman. Yeah. And Batman does something very similar. Mm-hmm. They, they they push it further in the the cartoon after that, but they, they they do this very similar aesthetic where it's like they take current uh, sort of eighties you know and graft it onto you know styles and and things of like I guess maybe the the twenties through the forties uh, in mm-hmm. Batman, but you know in this one specifically more like the twenties I guess. All that was was <laughs> was was really surprising, and that Michael Ballhouse did the did the cinematography, which was amazing in this, by the way. Mm-hmm. This movie, um, you know, in my eyes, kind of failed in execution. But in terms of their aspirations and aspirations mm-hmm. and goals, I mean, kind of represent what I love about Prince: these ambiguities and kind of you know breaking away from binaries, yeah. right? So you know, he does it in time, like we just talked about. You know, is it the twenties? Is it the eighties? Is it both? You yep. know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, place. I mean, France. 
but these they're these two you know black hustlers from miami right so you have yeah. these meldings of time but then even the relationship between um christopher and tricky i mean which you know i searched and searched and searched and tried to find you know whether they were brothers cousins friends you know but mm-hmm. even beyond that i mean they were they had this you know what's, what's the proper way of saying this this sort of loosely homoerotic relationship with each other at mm-hmm, least you know mm-hmm. especially coming from um tricky right so again mm-hmm. you have prince playing with sexuality and gender you know even no but tr- tricky was the one who who wouldn't uh, who, who was reluctant to say he loved him right, right right there you go right yeah right yet you know i mean they came as close to you know you could be without kissing right i mean so mm-hmm. Again, I mean, I think, well, you know... Tr- tricky giving him a bath? It's giving like, him a bath, like throwing There's, the pedals in the bathtub, know, right? I mean, this yeah. is your homeboy or your brother. I mean, you know. <laughs> but again, I, I think it, it's, again, that's what makes Prince so awesome. You know, yeah. he's outside of our conventions, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we saw that in this film. Yeah, that, that, that all of that was interesting for me because I couldn't figure out, again, really placing this in 1986, it, like... Yes, Prince is playing with, and this is just something about me and Prince in general. Like sometimes I think Prince is given, and this this is gonna sound terrible, and this is gonna get you guys hate mail for real. I think that he's given <laughs> he's given more credit for being more forward thinking than I think he he was at certain times of his career. While I think that he was he always played with gender. I'm not sure he played with gender with the understanding that like actually what I'm doing is forward thinking uh, is forward thinking and being more accepting and creating space for um, Mm -hmm. non-binary kind of things as much as like, this is going to like, he was like a human troll in a lot of ways with some some of that. Like we're going to fuck him up. Yep. This is like, they're really not going to be able to like understand what I'm doing now, but I'm Prince and I can do that. And so while I am grateful that it pushed boundaries in ways that, um, that opened doors and, and again created space for for non-binary thinking. I mm-hmm. sometimes I think Prince is credited in a way that is is a little that feels uh, like unearned for me. And well, well but look, but interesting. I mean, the, Very interesting. that's like you know that often happens with interpretations of art, right? Where you you know the artist's intention you know may not have been that, but yeah. that is like how it is perceived and, and how mm-hmm. you consume it mm-hmm. and like. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would say that, like, especially with this one, kind of like you're, you're saying, Langston, like the dynamic with with uh, Christopher and Tricky, um, also what we are to believe Christopher's love of Kristen Scott Thomas's what's her name, uh, Mary, Mary is supposed to be, and just the presentation there, it it makes it seem like that. I don't know how can how can you read it any other way? You know what I mean? Even if that's not what he intended as the director and. Uh, it, did he write it too? No, he he just directed this one. I mean, he, I'm sure he was, you know, had final say on sort of everything, but like, you know, <laughs> yeah. he wasn't credited as the writer, I guess. But I mean, in this one, similarly to Purple Rain, um, it 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 also feels like the women become somewhat props, um, and and I mean, not that this is like unique to Prince at all, but just pointing it out, like you know, the women aren't. I guess Mary gets a little bit more character developed than Apollonia, uh, but yes. right. you know that again. That was something that stood out to me. And most of the women in this movie yeah. are just 
people uh, John's for Prince the Gigolo, mm-hmm. you know, or uh, yeah. <laughs> or Chris, Christopher mm-hmm. Tracy. So mm-hmm. I I think a big thing for me in this movie though that I do credit Prince for in a way in in a, a much more um, it feels intentional to an extent is mm-hmm. injecting blackness into spaces where it's. It, at least in the world that's created, it's unexpected. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate like every single time that Prince would like code switch into like speaking black vernacular for lack of a better mm-hmm. way to put it like that. I love that. Like, yeah, like that's, that's, that's the, that's the, like the, the, the pinnacle of that, but it happens throughout, uh-huh. throughout the film. It, right? It's the most obvious one. Yeah. 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 yeah you're right. And yeah. like, and like him and uh, Christopher Tracy and Tricky, a lot of it is happening there. A lot of it, and, and a lot of it, I do feel like, is coming out of gay culture. I'm just not sure if it's in praise of gay culture or trying to make gay culture the butt of the joke. But it's mm, that that is present presence there for me in, in my experience with it. So. Mm. Yeah, but I, I know this. I think this was in Graffiti Bridge, but like there was that moment where it's like, oh, the lights go out, and then Morris Day and and Jerome. Uh, oh no, we have to sit on opposite sides of the couch or whatever. Um, but in uh, Cherry Moon, I, I feel like maybe, maybe I'm not remembering all of the moments, but like I, I feel like that those sort of like uh, we didn't just do a gay, did we? Type jokes uh, weren't really in there. But uh, but it, th- that is an interesting point, like that injecting uh, black culture into you know whatever like this this uh, a place where you wouldn't expect to find it in, uh, on the French Riviera or wherever. Where are they? Uh, nice or something? I believe so. Uh, and you know the the, uh, the the billionaires' parties, and um, it seems like it would be a bigger deal that that these uh, these street hustlers and gigolos from Miami or whatever they are, it would be a big, bigger deal. But that the, the way that the, the film takes it is just in stride. It's just uh, you know, it's just it's it's just part of the the world he created. And it's interesting to me in this space, and that like sometimes the white people for me became like interchangeable. Like I, I like there was a couple times, particularly near the end when uh tricky is coming to try to save christopher tracy and all of a sudden there's a uh-huh. white woman with him and i could not it took me to the end of the movie like who is that where did she come from yeah but, but i missed that too it's the person i'm like oh no she's the person who owns the place where they stay like okay yeah yeah, yeah. She, you know? she's the the landlord yeah. or whatever Accident right landlord. yeah i was just, yeah i, like, I, I uh, didn't put that together either like, <laughs> Who is it's like, where the hell did she come right, from? Yeah. And why is she so invested in whatever is happening? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, well, that question's still valid, but yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Same question. <laughs> I thought it was it was nice, you know. It was it was it was a nice little story. They took a uh, you know a very typical romantic car race at, around a horse track, which is something that you see all the time yeah, in yeah. Uh, in really nice dates. Um, but there were some really odd scenes in this, um, and I again I thought it was almost experimental that's how i felt about it it felt like a almost like a student film in a way but in a good way you know not 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 due to quality more like because they were trying different things yeah exactly they they were kind of like you're bringing up Langston, like they were just you know pushing it into a place that you know uh uh yeah, if if this had gone through studio execs and everything else, like there's no fucking way they would have been able to do that. Like, what time is this? You know, where are we? What, you know, what's happening? Um, and that the notes would sort of like you know kill some of that part of it. I mean, perhaps uh, some of the notes would have helped uh, other aspects of it, uh, but uh, you know, then it would you know again it would probably like you know quash some of the the, the interesting aesthetic uh, choices and the some like the sexual ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
just as a, a total aside, like what was it was killing me. I was like, who is this guy? The whole time it was like the dad of Kristen Scott Thomas. I was like, who is that guy? Who is that guy? The guy from Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, looked him up. Okay, he was in that, but he was also the cop who, like, you know, presses his thumb into Alex's nose in Clockwork Orange. Like, he <laughs> oh, he was much you younger. That, yeah, and he had, he had these like, is you know, intense sideburns and kind of a, like curly hair. Yeah, yeah, I totally know who you're talking about. So where I know him from because I was doing the same thing is from Octopussy, the James Bond movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I was yeah, like, God, yeah. that's who he is. He's from, he's from Octopussy. Every time I see that guy, I'm just like, Hello, Mr. Foley. <laughs> I just do the same folks. <laughs> do you guys want to go on to Graffiti Bridge? Sure. Do you think we we said enough about Under the Cherry Moon? Can't, can't leave this one fast enough. <laughs> yes. No, but I I I, I did. Like wanted to say, but one other thing was like, yeah, like I mean, I know we touched on this a little earlier, but I was so surprised to find out this wasn't a musical at all. Like there wasn't, mm. he wasn't a musician. It was like you know, kind of a, a straight. He could play music. M- movie. Yeah. He was a pianist. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it starts off with him him playing. You're like, okay, this is going to be the club. This is going to be the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the place that we return to all the time, or, or the, the the one we have battles over. Uh, you know, who gets to like you know, you know, be top billing of this club. Uh, and no, it just. <laughs> It turns out that was just that was just opening credits, and uh, this isn't going to be a musical. I, you know, that was really surprising to me. Yeah, I think it was surprising to everybody, which is another, yeah. <laughs> which is another reason that you know this didn't it didn't do what Purple Rain did. I think, yeah. but I will say this: I, I think Prince musically, Prince as an artist in general, is not mm. one that is interested in retreading things that they they've already done, and so he was mm. he was saying again. Now you think you can box me in as the kid, and I'm not the kid. I'm Prince, and Prince can do way more than the kid can even do. Mm. Here's this completely different thing. I'm like to Langston's point, this really aspirational thing. I'm gonna try, and and I, and I don't know if this is me playing, giving in to Prince's persona, or if he actually felt like this. But like, I'm gonna do it, and I'm gonna do it well. It just everybody else didn't think not so much. Didn't think so much. <laughs> he, he did it all. I wouldn't say he did it well, but he did he did everything that he aspired to do, yeah. I think, for this film, at least from based on how many different things that they go through in the movie, I think is a lot. <laughs> that final scene where he's confessing his love for her slash not, and you know, that scene, I don't know. I mean, again, it's it's Prince and his dynamic with women in these movies are just it's just perplexing to me. Like, so you go out of your way to like show up. <laughs> You know, when she's getting on the plane, grab her, snatch her. We're gonna let we're gonna let that slide for some reason. Like that, he actually did abduct her, drive her away, and finally she's like, "All right, let's like I'm here, you're here. We obviously love each other. What's up?" And he's like, "Let me get in the back seat. Let me put on my sunglasses and go into full prince mode." And you know, and that that's that's how we're gonna resolve this. Like that's how you're gonna know I love you because I also I'll hate, let you I hate I'll you. let you talk yourself into this one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just bizarre to me. Bizarre. But at least we we um we've been consistent in having a movie on our podcast that has a bummer ending, and this one had a pretty <laughs> bummer ending. You know, like it was it was pretty sad, um, tragic. It was uplifting to have Tricky tell the landlady like, "I need my rent." Like you know, like, like I'm joking. That's a, that, that, was... that that little final. Yeah, joke. you're forgetting what the ending was. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was the ending. Yeah, that was the ending. I'm Uplifting I'm for I'm, sure. I'm teasing, but yeah, no. To your point, yeah, yeah. That it was sort of tragic. A, like, here's the thing: I, it almost would have worked for me if they wouldn't have done. Let me also have my last words. I was shot in the back 
with a, with a fucking long, <laughs> a, a long rifle. Like I, I fell down, but like let me live long enough. Let me sit up. <laughs> right, right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and, with the minute. blood, just perfect. Like yeah, just a little bit. Let, here. Let, what, what, like similar ending to like the kid freeze frame. Like, like yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like we had fun, didn't we? Like come on, man. Just... Wait, wasn't there a matching freeze frame in this though with the guy, the bad guy from Beverly Hills Cop? I think he does a turn two and has oh, a yeah, freeze oh, frame. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Right before we go back to Miami, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, he freeze frames. I even marked it down. B- bad guy from Beverly Kills Cop freeze frame. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, any 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 other anything else for Under the Cherry Moon? Well, I, uh, the only thing we like, I mean, what I, I I didn't quite touch on with the uh, the the whole like no musical part of it. It's like I, you know, again was expecting a musical the whole time. I, I think at maybe minute forty three, he starts to play, and you're like, okay, finally the music's kicking in, and like then it then it kind of never comes back <laughs> but um and then you know one other quick thing was like that uh to your your point earlier about you know the 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 code switching moment like when he's talking about the the way that uh Kristen Scott Thomas would have sex and like how she'd go from quiet yes, yes. to loud yeah. to then black <laughs> then you going to get that oh, right. shit. yeah no that was great no that, again like that that kind of stuff i i, I it worked for me in this movie this like like yo, I'm I'm gonna bring my full authentic self to this uh-huh. space, and like as a juxtaposition to how uptight, you know, it's like you know the same kind of stuff with like Footloose and other kind of things. Like hmm. this is, but right, this right. is how it looks for a black man to be the person who's bringing life to this, hmm. you know, very very stiff, for lack of a better term, like right, space. Right, right. You know? Yeah, and and I mean, it's it's interesting to me that uh, the way that music shows up here. Is it, it? It almost feels out of place uh, to me in, in some of the, some of yeah. the ways it shows up. Even I mean, even parade as a companion to this, it doesn't. To I think Jeremy's point earlier, it doesn't really fit this 20s 30s aesthetic at all. And it, you know, it's very 86 Prince. You know, or I can't even <laughs> say that because Prince was on to other things by 86. Right. I would say it's very 84 to 86 Prince, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it, it kind of sticks out a little bit, even when, you know, they pull out the boom box or whatever, you know what I'm saying, to do <laughs> right, you know, right, in, that, right. in that scene was like very, we're going to take her down to show how we get down. You know what I mean? So, Which also reminded me of Batman where it's like, Lawrence? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love that scene. I thought you were going to let me watch them make the art. <laughs> I love that scene, though. I love that scene in Batman. Love that song from Batman. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, Party Man is the bomb. So uh, the um, unofficial sequel to Purple Rain. No, I, under I think it is gr- official, right? It is official. I, I read it was unofficial. I read it was not official. But that's if it's official, Jeremy, if you put oh, the stamp of official. Yeah. This is official. Um, so yeah, this was uh, this was an interesting. I didn't realize that this one was made so long after uh, Purple Rain, though. It's it's quite it's almost a full decade. They they took uh, their time with this one. Uh, six years. I mean, it's eight, eighty four to ninety, right? Oh, eighty four. I thought it was eighty two. I thought Purple Rain was eighty two. Mm-hmm. Eighty four. But it it feels like a lifetime, though, Brian. I'm with you on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. and you know, to what we were talking about earlier, it's right on the cusp of a sea change in like popular culture, particular music-based popular culture. And mm. boy, does it feel like it! I, like you said, you watch them in the order of like 
<laughs> least to best. For me, Graffiti Bridge was a much more difficult watch than Under the Cherry Moon. Uh, I, I actually, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. e- even though there's more music in this and it's like, yeah, you're right. Like, There's a lot of like, uh, a lot of stuff you got to get through. Like, you know, and like the oddly like horny angel and the uh, <laughs> yeah. titular graffiti bridge is I, I don't know what came out of the wizard of oz set like the whole thing was just like so odd the background it has got to be the wizard of oz sky it's the yeah, same exact yeah. sky from wizard of oz right. and then I, I was like what i mean it, it, at least purple rain like they shot uh, you know a, a good portion of it anyway in in minneapolis i mean the rest of it like the for some reason the la rivers in there it's really <laughs> weird but like and then like the amityville horror house uh, is in there for some reason <laughs> but but yeah like there was a lot of like minnesota in it where it's like in this one it's like you know it's clearly um leftover sets from ninja turtles and like you know it's like you know, <laughs> damn <laughs> <laughs> and like you know some like wizard of oz stuff and like you know it's just <laughs> definitely not even trying to place it in our world this time whereas at least with some of it in purple rain you know, Lake Minnetonka and uh, and uh, what was the name of the club in the in Purple Rain? First Avenue. Yeah, yeah, which is a real place. Yeah. Right. It's like... So, and this is a weird place to start the conversation about this, but like, <laughs> so if we're gonna go ahead and say in Purple Rain, there's just a little moment of Morris after doing the worst thing. Well, arguably the worst thing he did in the movie, the top two worst things he does in the movie, where. The time comes off the stage, they're walking past uh, the kids' dressing room, and uh, they know that Prince's dad is in the hospital of an att- <laughs> you know, attempted How's suicide, the and he comes back yeah. and he does that. And, and I mean, I got to give it to him, comedic timing, 10. It was hilarious, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> comedic timing was a 10, but that was dirty. But then you see... Yeah. Then <laughs> he like backed up. It, but, <laughs> right? but then you see, you know, he has this moment of like, man, like what, that is played for like who am I? What am I? Am I like, what, that probably wasn't cool. That is completely, completely washed away because he's like a straight up right. super villain in, yeah. you know, in graffiti bridge. Like yeah. I'm going to blow your, blow up your club. I'm going to literally piss in your club. Um, and even Which though I have flammable pee for some reason, I, I don't right. get it. Pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that was a superpower though. I thought, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's a super villain. Like, I, it just—it was tough. I mean, it, this was this was tough. This tough one for. I mean, I just feel like the the corn factor was turned up turned up quite a bit on this one. Yeah, this was a horrible film. Um, <laughs> like I really, it was. It, 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 I struggled to, you know. I mean that with the utmost respect to Prince. I mean, I struggled to watch. I mean, it didn't keep my attention. But, you know, I yeah. thought it was a great. It really felt like an outlet for. Uh, Paisley Park artist and Warner Brothers records artist. I mean, that's what it felt like. Mavis Staples, mm. um, who Prince was working with, George Clinton, right? Tevin Campbell was signed to Warner Brothers, so we dropped him in that film, right? Purposeless, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. All a commercial, you mean? Yeah, like, I mean, that's what it per- felt like. And I love that song, right? I mean... <laughs> I mean, Yo, one of my favorites. Tevin was Tevin was hitting them steps. Man. He killed I'm not it. gonna lie. Yo, I was like, I was like, Tevin. Yeah, man. Thank, thank you for, thank you for this moment of something to enjoy in this, in this ninety minutes of something else. In whatever this is, whatever this is. But then he goes back inside, and we don't see him again for like, you know, the whole movie, and then he comes back out. Like, what, what was the purpose of any no. of this, really? I mean, thinking back to these three, the uh, gr- 
Graffiti Bridge has like none of the memorable thing. Like I can't really fully remember anything in particular. Like I remember the movie, but nothing stood out like how Purple Rain has those moments. And even Under the Cherry Moon has some moments, you know, especially the comedy of it. But this one, I just not much there that I I can you know put my finger on. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'd say you know just as, as a movie, like it 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 did sort of um, at least attempt to to put those story pieces in there the way that you know Purple Rain it didn't in the sense that like you know okay they're gonna do the the epic battle uh, for the rights to be playing in the club. Um, and then when he does it, like they're like, "Oh no, we should have gone with a different song, right?" Like he he had the the sort of low point in his like music that he didn't have in Purple Rain. In Purple Rain, it was mm-hmm. like every time he got on stage, it was like, "Oh, it's the best thing ever," right? Mm-hmm. And 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 in this one, like at least, and he sort of like sort of failed in that music thing, and then was able to kind of you know rock the Casbah at the end. But then yeah, I mean, it's like you know it, you you pair that with uh, just you know a, a lot of sort of random things happening. Uh, and you know, the the bridge itself, uh, you know, and, and like the how much you you, you know they, they tried to connect it with uh, his dad's suicide, and like is that actually going to be a thing? And like you know, obviously it wasn't. Um, but I uh, got kind of excited like when I saw the opening credits for this one. I was like, oh, maybe Staples is in this. Because uh, didn't you guys just just finish up putting a, a a big essay together for about the Staples? Yes, uh, it's been a little bit ago, but uh, but yeah, Langston and I worked on um, a re-release of the six albums that the Staple Singers recorded for Stax Records. Um, awesome. Yep, that was cool. I wish there was more to say about Mavis Staples in this film. I mean, the performance <laughs> yeah. is great, but yeah. you know, it just felt like uh, you know her and George Clinton and the others were just underutilized. In ways, you know, or maybe utilized enough. I don't know about the acting, acting chops or whatever. But, I mean, I th- yeah. maybe if they were utilized to the extent that we'd want them to be, it would be a fully concert or full concert movie as right. opposed to any of the interstitials in between of story, you know, and it would just be all performance. But I know what you mean. Yeah. Like, give me more performance because that was the best part of all of you. <laughs> um, the, the, the rapper from Prince's crew who throughout the film was like, Yo, you should have let me rap. When you gonna Prince. let me rap? You should have let me rap, Prince. <laughs> Prince, I just see or the kid, the kid. I just yeah, seen the your, kid. <laughs> the kid. I just seen your girl. Like yo, like He's my man was out. that man. He was really like it was so bizarre, man. So bizarre. Should have let me rap. Like <laughs> it's like yes, rap is a thing now. Yeah, you didn't I know what before. I'm saying? Like, like yo, here we are. I mean, uh, that's it. <laughs> no, I feel you. About that. That's it about yeah. that. But that was particularly egregious for me. It felt too intentional. It's like I don't know. I mean, the, the film signified Prince's, and again, I'm not, I'm not fully uh, immersed in his chronology. But you know, that was a very mm-hmm. black film compared to the prior two, right? And mm-hmm. I don't know if that lines up with what where Prince was going musically. I guess it was since the New Power Generation was you know more firmly in line with you know, musical trends in black America at the time. Mm. But yeah, the rap references felt so, so egregious and so, so intentional. And they were like pounding it into my brain. Maybe I'm just more <laughs> sensitive to that because I'm into hip hop and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yo, dude, first of all, you're not a good rapper. And, and maybe Prince <laughs> understands that. I mean, I mean, no offense, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, sure. 
you know, he's not Big Daddy Kane or whoever was out back in the day. But <laughs> I don't know, man. But I know I agree with you, Levon. That was especially annoying. I mean, even Morris Day, I forget which song it was that the the time performs, but it's like performed as a rap, like release it. I think is the name of it. Man, yeah. that is awful. Like I love, <laughs> I, I I love Morris because yeah. of all of the time records, including the 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 time songs that appear in. Uh, in Purple Rain, again, are him and his element. He's not a singer. He's a live performer. Right. But to see him, to even, you know what I'm saying, the like, the fucking, you know, the, the cuts, the, the parts, <laughs> the, cuts, the yeah. parts in Morris' hair, plus the, the like, the shag in the back, like, it was like, yeah, was, everything, yes. everything about it, you know, was, was, was challenging for me. Be- only because it, it felt like people who were, act like people who set the cool now trying to keep up with the cool like mm-hmm, you know what i mean right. that's what it felt I think like for me. you know th- this is the same year I-, I think earlier in that year that th- didn't ice cube go solo wasn't america's most wanted 1990 yeah so mm-hmm. i mean it's like you know that like when you're talking about like you know, like i do the raps you know it's like you know you you, you sound so fucking out of touch compared to uh, you know what was like, out there yeah, what was, what, what what was, was out there and like mm-hmm. you know what the the, the zeitgeist had, had you know moved to. Mm-hmm. Well, what has occurred to me literally in real time in this conversation though is what he probably represents is a callback to Wendy and Lisa. Here are people that are part of my band that are interested in doing something that I'm being hesitant to. That is probably mm-hmm. something good. Like and and I, I had not made that connection mm-hmm. between the two because of the egregious nature of the performance. <laughs> But but I think that maybe that's the parallel that he was going for there, possibly. That makes sense. Yeah. But but like, <laughs> but it's not like, you know, in Purple Rain, like that sort of like led like his hesitancy, and then incorporating that sort of led to his like greatest victory in that movie. Whereas like he didn't actually like you know sort of incorporate, uh, you know, the the yo MTV raps into his. Uh, into his like don't don't like, disrespect your own tv raps like that it's grand finale bro like I, i'm trying to think of what i would even like what i would even compare that to but it, it's not even your own tv raps i would compare it to because michael jackson's black or white came out like the next year there was a rap performance on that song that oh, was yeah, truly yeah, yeah. Awful. I'm not gonna spend my life being a color. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's kind of where I connected. I mean, this you yeah. know, you have this big time pop star trying to engage, you know, the 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 popular trend in black music now, and mm-hmm. just kind of failing at it in some way, right? Um, I think Michael Jackson did it better in some ways, um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of what I connected to. I think. Well, and and, and speaking of kind of keeping up, uh, like Prince's costume through sort of the the latter half of the movie. Where he's wearing like all the leather jackets and all this, like, it reminded me a lot of Bad, which I, you know, was what two or three years before this, and 87. and it, yeah, yeah. So it, it it seems too that like in that sense he's kind of like you know trailing, mm. uh, uh, you know, what what it what it already kind of you know uh, broken out as like, you know, instead of setting that trend, you know, he, he's like trailing the trend, like like you were saying earlier. Here's what I w- here's an interesting way to think about that and how I would think about that. I think that both and I hate to end up right at the classic MJ versus Prince thing, but what I would say is that they both were Uh like so in their own world, probably not paying a lot of attention to each other and not wanting Mm -hmm. to be influenced to each other that in their attempt to connect to black culture uh, or to reconnect or to 
let me not even say reconnect. Everything they're doing is black culture. They're black artists. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, sure. but to, to connect to the zeitgeist of what was happening in black music right. at that time, they arrived at oddly similar places, but taking mm -hmm. their own paths to get there. And that one way that manifests is in fashion and all the belt buckles. And like, this is what mm -hmm. tough me mm -hmm. tough is what we want. And this is what <laughs> tough looks like. <laughs> tough looks like me, Prince, who you may have seen in low rise, Heights in the previous my previous film, uh, and you might have seen me in Garter, you know, uh, like a straight up Garter in this yeah. film. But I'm gonna let you know, I ain't no punk. You know what I mean? Like, right. there's a right. scene in Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, and I, I'm trying to remember why he says it, but at one point he goes, "Do it and you're dead." Like in that to, to Michael, that was toughness, and that's how some of this shit in uh, Graffiti Bridge felt like was like Prince, man, like. This ain't it, bro. Like this is just this yeah, is not it. Yeah. <laughs> but was Prince supposed to play the the foil in the bad uh, video? Levon, did you tell this? So is that true? I, so that was really that was something that was discussed. Like it was okay. it was initially intended to be a duet between uh, between Prince and Michael Jackson. And Prince wow. classically tells this story. You can look it up uh, it, on an episode of the Chris Rock talk show. <laughs> where he talked uh -huh. about it. There's all these legendary tales of you turning down bad. Well, you know, that Wesley Snipes character, right. th that would have been me. And the classic line from it, he was like, you know, yeah, that was gonna happen. But he was like, you know, I, I, I heard the lyrics and the first line of that song is, your butt is mine. mine. And who's gonna be singing that? Cause you ain't singing it to me and I damn <laughs> sure ain't singing it to you. That's <laughs> Oh it God. didn't end up happening. Darn. <laughs> no, no, thank God. I, who knows? Who knows what that would have been? I, I think it's. Right. I think it's better. Uh, it, it, complete side note. And this is. You can edit this out, Brian. But like, it, it, Prince and Quincy Jones didn't have a really great relationship because there's also that whole mm -hmm. thing about Prince opting out of participating in the group "We Are the World" track. Mm -hmm. Like he oh. opted to not be a part of that when everybody got together and did that. And mm -hmm. and. I just feel like him and Quincy, I, I don't know this to be true, but I, I just feel like him and Quincy didn't have a great track record of any kind of collaboration or whatever. So. Oh, that's definitely going in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We're leaving that in for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like Prince opted to, like they, the, the USA for Africa project, which is where, where we are the world, the song comes from. Prince mm -hmm. opted to make his own song that would be for the track and as opposed to participating yeah, in that big, one, yeah. huge moment where even Dan Aykroyd shows yeah, up yeah, right. you know prince, and prince is not there like that just classic prince because that was everybody God, right wasn't that like 50 on, people prince. 50 celebs didn't that? <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and again it it would have been meaningful to have him there but he was just mm -hmm. like too cool for that this i mean now i'm coming up with all kind of crazy prince trivia but this is also the so it's the 1984 i believe american music awards that that recording happened immediately following and before Prince got there, this is Purple Rain time. Um, he there apparently for those who were seated around him in the theater where the awards ceremony was taking place, there a memo went out saying that people were not to look Prince directly in the eyes, that they were not to like they're, they're like to basically get. <laughs> oh no! And here, here's the best part of the story. The reason I know this story is because Weird Al Yankovic got that, got that, and he sends he had. He had a message sent to Prince's people that Prince was not to look him in the eye, and so I, I love. That's amazing. I, 
I, I love I love Weird Al for a lot of things, but that is one of, that, that's like in the top two. That's in the top, that's the top two. The top like I, I love him for that. I love him for that. So I didn't know that. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Graffiti Bridge. My bad. Let's. <laughs> but Jamie Fox, you know, one of his stand-ups told a joke about uh, running into Prince or seeing Prince at a club or something like that, and people always told him not to look Prince in the eyes, right? And he tried not to. He resisted. He resisted. But then he like caught eyes with him and just kind of. I guess became cap- captivated in some sort of spell or fell in love or something. I mean, it was uh, that's I funny. Saw his Looking aura. Prince in the eyes, right? Right. Or like Medusa, you turned to stone. Right. Right. Oh, actually, like real quick, the one last thing I want to say about Graffiti Bridge. You know, it was interesting. I think even though in Under the Cherry Moon, uh, it didn't sort of you know connect with audiences popularly or whatever. Kind of like what I was saying earlier, how he created this like melding of time. Um, that was then sort of later used in Batman, of which he, uh, you know, was, was a big part with, with the soundtrack. And then I feel like at the beginning of this movie in particular, some of that Batman aesthetic came into this, where it was like Morris Day at the head of the, the Joker table. Uh, and <laughs> the one guy after eating the, the spicy pepper, you know, becomes <laughs> like the sort of, you know, smoking, you know, corpse or whatever, like from uh, Batman. Uh, and, you know, Morris Day is basically like this uh, zoot suit, uh, Carl Grissom. Now what time is it? <laughs> and later, we see sort of an update of, like, the crazy Purple Rain bike. But it's it's all black with the red stripes and looks like the 60s Batmobile. Right? And it has the sidecar, too. <laughs> it's just like, oh, right. <laughs> it has some of that, like, these weird connections to Batman uh, in both of these in a, in a way. I, I'm glad you brought up that scene, Jeremy. Like, I, lo- I love that scene. Uh, j- just, again, Morris Day's comedic timing, obviously. Yeah. And, like, Morris, one of Morris's many uh, trademark things are, is chili sauce. So, like, him eating the chili oh, really? paper and <laughs> Terry Lewis. I-, I love that. And, again, it's interesting to me that I feel like Terry and Jimmy Jam also actually had a little bit of acting chops for the very, very small pieces. Whereas, what, like we were mm-hmm. talking about with the revolution, I was like, ooh, this is rough. <laughs> like, like Terry, yeah. uh, J- uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, both in their very limited screen time, like felt very comfortable in front of the camera. I thought that was cool, you know? And, but I, I love that scene that you're talking about. And it, it, for me, it felt, and maybe it's because of the color palette, it felt very Dick Tracy uh, to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, yeah. And we can't forget that yeah. this was... Um, the deeply spiritual movie too for Prince, and this was uh, mm-hmm. you know post spiritual transformation that happened after I can't remember you know what where it happened. I think a few years prior, he did the Love Sexy album. You know that was you know about the battle between good and evil and all the spiritual you know stuff. And I mm-hmm. think that directly influenced um, his work on Graffiti Bridge. I mean, not well articulated. I mean, you know the angel who gets killed at the end, and you know all that good stuff. But um, and you know raped almost. Yeah. And, and almost raped, right? I mean, again, which Prince, I thought was crazy. Prince and women, man, like it, 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 it like even so. Okay, so I want to talk about this. Sorry. Uh, so, Prince, the kid, the hero, saves what could have been. Well, I guess Morris says. Morris actually says, and I think this is important to point out. He says mm-hmm. he's not going to rape her. He literally is like, <laughs> right. I'm not going to take it. What I it's want, like when she wakes up or whatever, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. she'll see me and she'll fall in the first, fall in love with the first man. That that she sees, and it'll be me, uh-huh. and so that's what he's gonna do, which is still rapey, but mm-hmm. uh, you know. But the kid shows up, s- saves her, right. throws her over his back. Like, <laughs> I, that, don't 
most damsels in distress, aren't they kind of carried, you know, different, yeah. but like he throws her over his back. That's a hostage. Takes, yeah. takes her back to his crib. I don't know if he knows about the fact that she's going to wake up and fall in love with the, the first man she sees, but even he, he's tempted, like literally yeah, like, yeah, right. does yeah, the, yeah. the trembling hand. To, like, yeah. Like, like yeah. I mean, what are, what are we, what are we trying to say, Prince? What are, what are, right. what, what, is, what are we trying to say about women in this? And I mean, Jill Jones reappears mm-hmm. as herself in this, and that whole aesthetic is weird. She was not really good in terms of acting. She was not very good in Purple Rain and, just in case you don't know who I'm talking about, she's the woman who Apollonia runs into in the bar in the beginning. In the very beginning. And then yeah. at the end, she's the one that, that Prince sees crying when he's so mad after he gets done doing Purple Rain and comes back uh-huh. to do I Will Die For You. So that is right. her again here, which again, first of all, where's Apollonia? Like that's never explained in the right. sequel. In the right. sequel. I, thought, yeah. I thought they were in love, but maybe he... Who knows what well, happened? But now he's with Jill, and Jill is like, "Man, you're such a dick." And I guess people don't change, and so maybe the kid didn't change between you know '84 and uh, you know '90. '90. But it was that was that was rough. That was rough. And, and many of many rough elements of that movie, that was a pretty that was a particularly rough rough thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, uh, under the cherry moon, tricky. I I just have to bring. I want to talk about particular scenes, particular lines. So tricky, and this is another to your point, Jeremy, where like I feel like bullet mm-hmm. points are hit, but there's not any, there's not enough in between mm-hmm. to make those to make those moments full earned. Tricky's feeling of betrayal by Christopher Tracy in Under the Cherry Moon felt very forced to me. Like right, he right. went from like I'm literally watching you bathe and putting, uh, you know, like their their friendship, their brotherhood is pretty. Uh-huh clearly established as a very very close friendship but it falls apart so quickly uh in my and like in in that he's gonna screw everything up and like maybe it's because maybe it's because they love each other i mean like romantically love each other although they're Mm -hmm. i think they're supposed to be brothers yeah um and he feels betrayed in that way and that's what's not being said in the scene but anyway Mm -hmm. i just wanted to i love the scene where the uh the landlady says tricky why are you doing this? It's like, because it's a full moon out and I'm a werewolf, bitch. Like, that shit. <laughs> like, those are the moments that I was laughing out loud at. Like, those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, so, that was on my list to talk about. Just wanted to talk about it. What to say. <laughs> so glad we did. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, it is wild, like, that, uh, you know, it, it feels like in each of these movies, well, more so in the first two. It seems like it was like almost there, and if we just had like this scene kind of fleshed out, or you know, had another scene where we explained why all of a sudden, yeah, exactly, does he just flip the light switch and, and he's like bathing him to, uh, to like I'm done with you, <laughs> like you know, instantly, and it's like okay, you know, they, they. But he started he started getting feelings for Mary, right? I mean, they they do. I think I guess, that's like yeah, one line that point. he says. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm starting to love her, and I even wrote that. I'm like, oh, this is going to take a, another turn, and right. it never really. Never really satisfies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- then then they needed to hit that note. Then it's like you know the right like uh, you know you know just because you're a great artist in, in one respect doesn't mean you're going to be great in the other. It's like you know if you're yeah. uh, you know oh god who, who was it? Ron Artest putting out a, an album or whatever at one point and like <laughs> things like that. Where it's just like you know, just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're good at all of things. <laughs> but Shaq ended up being a good rapper. <laughs> he used to, he was in a good video game. Yeah, he did his thing. Shaq Fu. Shaq Fu. Shaq Fu. <laughs> Um, 
Gosh dang, I was I gonna say about about that. About so I wanna I think it's important to also to, to note though that like Prince in directing this film, and even though that wasn't what it had started out to be, there was a director that left the project. Um he's in Graffiti a, Bridge? No, uh under the Cherry Moon. Oh. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Mm. Um he is a black director at a time when that was you know, directing and starring period is just something that mm-hmm. you, you weren't mm-hmm. seeing a lot, but a black director directing and starring in like a feature length film at that level was pretty ambitious. Again, ambitious for Prince. And I think to Langston's point, I appreciate his ambition. I you know, I, I think I feel like this about a lot of um people as they peak and they kind of go, I, I wish that they had more people around them that said like, again, this, nah, this is not, this is not it. Let's, 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 let's go back to the drawing board or let's go back to what, I mean, without being rehashing, let's stick to what really works well for us. I, I mm-hmm. wish, I wish that to an extent for Prince, but at the same time, who am I to question Prince Rogers Nelson? So let me, let's just say that out the gate. Like, right. And do you think people might've said that around him, but you know, he wasn't going to, buy into that right it's like i can do anything i i that seems like prince's prince's way fair fair yeah yeah i don't know i that's a good question because i i think you're right i think with a little bit of shaping i think these two subsequent films to purple rain could have been something you know but they they weren't really shaped yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will that. say though i will say about prince that is that he has pretty good he's not is not as sharp as morris day but like prince the comedian shows up quite a bit and under the cherry moon. And yeah. I think that there are elements of Christopher Tracy that are to Langston's point earlier are a little closer to who Prince really is as a person when not, mm. when not trying, when not so invested in keeping the mystique about himself. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated, I appreciated those glimpses that we saw in under the cherry. Moon. Right Was there anything you wanted to talk about? Like just sort of like, uh, you know, connecting all three of these together and, and kind of just how, like where this falls maybe in Prince's career and, and, and that whole side of it? Yes, but I'm going to give the floor to Langston to start. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, you know, in terms of connecting these films, um, you know, again, I'm not, you know, fully immersed in Prince's chronology, but, you know, I feel like we are meeting him in at three different distinct points in his life and career, right? Like, mm-hmm. so with Purple Rain, you know, I feel like it kind of documents his you know, his kind of rise to musical relevancy and, you know, he's the genius who has a battle of family issues and, and, and kind of personal demons and also professional competition, you know, within the Minneapolis scene, which, you know, I think they, you know, portray really well in the film. Then Under Cherry Moon, um, which, again, you know, I'm not Prince. I don't know, you know, his motivations for making this film or writing it. But if I'm reading into it, you know, it feels like... Um, it's a metaphor for, you know, where he was at that point in his, in his career. I mean, we see this, these two working class, you know, black men, you know, from the inner city who, you know, use their intelligence and their creativity mm-hmm. to kind of subversively dominate mainstream, you know, white people, you know, this time in France, yeah, right? But white as far as society, Prince, yeah, exactly. Right, right. Um, so, you know, and then, you know, he dies at the end. So I'm kind of wondering if he's kind of, you know, reckoning with um, some of the, the pitfalls of his attempts at, you know, mass stardom, right? You know, mm. because for black artists, you know, they have at times sharp rises and, you know, hard falls, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Graffiti Bridge, again, you know, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, there's this post, you know, this is him post spiritual awakening, right? You know, he's battling good and evil. Um, and then we see this professional, 
or this creative and professional move deeper into, you know, zeitgeist blackness at the time. So I, I, th- I do think all three of these films kind of parallel and reflect in some way where Prince was in his life and career. Um, right. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about Apollonia. Um, mm-hmm. I, I went I went back and forth about whether I thought she was a good actress. I think she does counter Prince in a way that works. Um, one one of the things I did as research for this podcast was I um, I, I I watched uh, something I'd seen on a YouTube channel called The Velvet Reality where they talked about Purple Rain, um, the, not the Velvet Reality, the Violet Reality, Prince. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, they talked about how initially Prince's protege, Vanity, was supposed to be the star, uh, the, the female lead in the film, but she ended up leaving Prince for Motown right before the, the start of the film. And so Vanity 6 became Apollonia 6. And uh. one of the things they brought up, which I thought was really interesting, is that in the original version of Prince's draft of the script, Vanity's character would have been named like Neandra or Neartha or something like that, something that could somehow in a weird way be shortened to Nikki. And so mm. Darling Nikki is about her. And one thing that never worked for me until I figured this out, until, until I got this little tidbit of knowledge, was like, why is Apollonia so upset by Prince right. singing Darling Nikki? <laughs> like, how right. could anybody in the world know or think that they were talking about Apollonia <laughs> when the song is called Dar- I mean, I'm like, yeah, he was playing around with it in the crowd, but I mean, like, it, it's, it seemed, it's, to the audience, it's played as, like, this really big moment of, like, the ultimate betrayal that he would right. sing this song <laughs> and clearly be singing at her with his eyes bucked. And I just, I never got it, but if that was originally supposed to be a character called Nikki, all of a sudden it makes mm-hmm. a, lo- a lot more sense. Yeah. You know, but yeah, that was just bizarre to me. But yeah, very interesting. And they said that because of the Apple, the I forget her real name, the the person that plays Apollonia. uh, Apollonia is her name, I believe that that is her first name. She took that name, but that is not that is not her. name. Oh, 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 it was an homage to Apollonia from The Godfather, apparently. I I figured, yeah, yeah. Monday, Tuesday, (laughs) Thursday, Wednesday. I already know English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but she she brought a different energy to the part, and so they shifted some things around. And I think it. I the Velvet Reality says this, and I agree. I think it brought a different element to to Prince, and I I appreciated that. You you brought up Vanity. I remember growing up as a kid, like she was huge at one point. Like she was on covers of magazines and and everything. Like it was she was in movies, I believe too. She was an actress, and it was. Just vanity. I remember her name. I was like, whoa, is that really her name? Denise Matthews is her name. Yeah. yeah. I saw somewhere that she left. I didn't know about the Motown thing. I was reading an oral history of uh, Purple Rain, and someone mentioned that she left the film because she had been offered the part of Mary Magdalene in Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ, which um, the part that went to Bar- uh, Barbara Hershey, right? But right. I thought that was interesting. I, I didn't know that. That's awesome. A movie that was shot by the same guy who... Then later shot uh, Under the Cherry Moon. Nice. Or, those connections. No, no. Wow. Under the Cherry Moon was first. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. But same, same cinematographer. Um, I thought she left because I thought she may have left. I think she was originally a Rick James protege and Prince stole her from Rick. Yeah. And I thought Rick <laughs> stole her back because Rick was also at Motown. Um, oh, that makes sense I too. Want, I want to ask. I, want, <laughs> I, I mean, that's purely speculation. Um, 
Langston, I want to ask you this. So the mm-hmm. reason, even though Nasty Girl is my jam, that's not the number one thing that Vanity is known for in my life and in my world. I want to ask you, what do you most know Vanity from? Just because I want to see if it's the same oh, uh, man. touch point. That's a good question. I mean, again, I had Vanity 6, that record, in the house. So, okay. I mean, I think that's what I associate okay. her with. It. I mean... So my first exposure to Vanity is Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. The Last Dragon, she, I figured that's she, And, and <laughs> yeah. that, she is legendary. She will never, like, she holds a very special place in my young heart. It's like possibly, my, possibly one of my first crushes, like specifically as mm. Laura Charles from Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Like that, that is who Vanity is. Like yeah. I didn't find out about her association with Prince to way later, way later. Oh, that makes me, sense. Yeah. So. Oh wow. So that that movie was always on cable, The Last Dragon, and I always used to catch it. And that I think that's where Vanity in my brain came mm. from. She was also in a Tales from the Crypt episode, mm. and I remember seeing her name and coming in the credits, Vanity, and I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> Whoa. Um, but yeah. yeah, I totally remember The Last Dragon. Yeah. Love you guys should. If you guys ever decide to make that make yeah. that part of a block, please call me back. Cause <laughs> I got a lot to say about Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. If you if you got two well, other movies to yeah, go with, you, it, why don't you do make it. it a block? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that sounds like a great idea. We'll lead right into the next podcast. I already got the second one for that. I'll just have to think. Oh, Perfect. actually, I got the block right here. Like, here's the block. Uh, Bar- Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, Blade, Black Panther. Just oh woo, yeah. Like so there okay. you go. There you go. But. Another, Some another motherfuckers topic. always try to ice skate uphill. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said that about as convincingly as uh, Prince in some of these moments. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. <laughs> another, another, another one-off thing that I want to talk about is like, am I tripping or was the first? <laughs> it's Clarence Williams the third. I know he's a good uh-huh. actor, but like. Uh-huh. The lines where the lines that Prince can overhear him saying to his mother, did that uh-huh. th- those sound weird as hell to y'all? Like super, like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like cliche versions of like what abusive right, right. like the house. You never do what I tell you. You never. Right, you right. never. I mean, I don't know. Just it like all... well, just you know. Part of it is one you're probably blaming the writing, yeah. uh, and, right. and then and then two, it was probably recorded uh, long after, and they they. Brought him back into a vocal booth. Yes, like a, yes, that's what just it's say a like. couple. Yeah. yeah, say this, say that. <laughs> yes, you know, zero context. Exactly right. Also, uh, uh, one scene in Purple Rain that even the first time I saw it never worked for me is that Prince shows up, dad is abusing mom. He's looking for his dad, and he comes in. And he goes, "Where are you? Where are you, motherfucker?" And he does like this. Uh, Prince, a straight spin. up, yeah, the straight spin. Up Prince spin. <laughs> like I was just like Prince, you almost had me. <laughs> had me in a moment you almost had me feeling feeling something in this moment but that yeah that, that inability to not print it up right there you know really like just took me out of it, it took me completely out of it Sorry. i agree oh totally that scene though um you know his, his dad is obviously abusing his mom and you know prince runs up on him and dad literally just I know, back slaps him like literally across the room. Like he flies <laughs> across the room. I mean, it just took me out of like a serious moment because it was so comical the way Flint just flew. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, I don't know. <laughs> I often wonder what these films would be like with better actors and better writing, right? 
<laughs> that sounds like something interesting that absolutely no one will touch right now to remake Purple Rain. Well, uh, um, but uh, it would definitely be an interesting uh, exercise. A guy named Marshall Mathers came pretty close in the early 2000s. Just going to throw that out there. I, I really feel like that 8 Mile in many ways is a retread of a, quite a few of the beats from Purple Rain. Yeah, so. yeah but I like the, the stuff in between the Mom's Spaghetti and Mackay Pfeiffer is uh it was actually pretty good in, oh i didn't say in, it was uh, bad i just said it yeah, was yeah. it was it was inspired I, eight miles a better movie yeah by yeah. far by yeah. far by far it's like the story part of it and everything yeah mm. i think kingpin stole a lot from under the cherry moon especially the beginning when <laughs> prince is walking through and eating people's food as he walks past <laughs> or just handing him his food or in the in that in that farmer's market i was like he's like roy munson <laughs> Oh, and the landlord. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it was like the beginning of Kingpin. <laughs> Speaking of that, that oh, Under the Cherry Moon walk through the market or whatever, I, I did love the scene where, and again, this is just another one of the like super kind of cool signif- signifying to black people specifically, like that, like without forcing it, that he's part of the community, is when Prince runs up on the kids and like he has the basketball uh-huh. And he's like, when y'all gonna get a job? Get like, I mean, job. like that yeah. felt very, very organic. That felt very, very real. And so in, in this very, um, man, in a lot of ways, manufactured world, there, when Prince, I felt like when he was leaning into himself, that came, I felt that, you know what I mean? And that's just like a very, very mm. small moment in what is we're I think we're agreeing is not a great movie, but it, <laughs> but, but it, it was, it's meaningful to me because I, again, that is a theme of under the cherry moon for me is like that again those that signifying to blackness even if i'm also eschewing what blackness traditionally is and challenging mm-hmm. uh you mm-hmm. know things about blackness as well so no that's a really good point i i and i hadn't considered that in that scene in particular and it was like you know for me i was like okay how is he talking to these french kids in english and like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> excellent point yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I I appreciate your reading a lot better than that <laughs> than my like cynicism or whatever. Yeah, because it had been so long since I seen Under Cherry Moon, I was like, "Yo, does he like do any like trick dribbling in this part?" I was like, "So I was waiting for that." I wanted him to shoot yeah, the ball. I, like, I, I wanted game to... blouses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Would you like to play some basketball? <laughs> I was waiting for that. Oh man, I, uh, we almost made it without uh, making a reference to that. <laughs> almost. And you even brought up Rick James, and we didn't. We didn't go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's another random one-off aside. Uh, so, in the original version of Graffiti Bridge, before it became merged with this vehicle that was supposed to be a time, a movie about the time or where the time was the star, it was mm. a vehicle that Prince was going to do first with Madonna. Uh, and then graffiti bridge was graffiti bridge, but this is like a completely wow. di- like almost yeah, the, yeah. the only thing that are is similar. I think really is the the title. Um, yeah. And then I think he was da- post Batman. He was dating Kim Basinger for a while, and she was going to be the lead, and she ended up dropping out, or maybe they broke up or something like that. And so hmm. that's how we end up with um, Ingrid or um, Ingrid Chavez as mm-hmm. uh, as that role kind of went to her after the two leads that he had in mind like uh passed wow yeah that would have been an interesting one with 
with uh no no kim basinger no i'm glad i'm glad i'm so glad <laughs> yeah ooh, ooh, ooh. i mean to hear um um i'm sorry what's the 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 act the lead actress in under the cherry moon what's her name uh kristen scott thomas thank you um apparently she like i won't say hates under the cherry moon but definitely <laughs> You know, it was a questionable thing for her. She doesn't look back on it and go, man, that was a really great thing I did with <laughs> that crazy-ass movie with Prince and Jerome Benton. That was, that was one of my first Oh, it was her, her first uh, feature, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm very critical of Prince in these movies. I am a lover of Prince as a musician, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm, I love parts of these projects. But one thing that helped me really think about this and try to find good things in it was the um, the sort of legacy that he's that Prince is playing into here, which is like the musician as the lead in a movie. And I think probably the most well-known example of that is Elvis. And mm. when we think about when, when I compare things like Purple Rain to I've, I've watched parts of a lot of Elvis movies because my mom is into that for mm-hmm, some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I put it in that aesthetic, it feels, it makes, so everything makes a lot more sense and I'm a lot less like hypercritical because right. it, it's part of this, mm-hmm. this legacy of, of pop stars starring in film, you know, uh, Sinatra even, I think, mm-hmm. you know, going further back. And that was happening a lot in the eighties and into the nineties. Right. So I think we talked about this before Levon. I mean, you had uh, Disorderlies with the fat boys, um, yes. yeah. Rick Springfield, uh, Jesse's Girl, uh, had a movie out in the mid 80s. I think they're around the same time as Purple Rain. Um, Vanilla Ice even got a feature film, Cold as right, Ice, which right. is sort of cool similar to cool Purple ice. Rain, right? Cool as ice. Yeah. Oh, right, right. So, um, you know, this was certainly a thing of the moment. <laughs> sure. I mean, it, it's another vehicle to promote, right? And, and, and it's a lot of eyeballs. Well, are seeing... that, that's kind of what I was, I was getting at, like, uh, you know, uh, hours and hours ago, which is like that there was this idea that, there was this idea that, like, you know, okay, the music video became this, like, perfect marketing tool to sell the album, yeah. right? And it's like, oh, why don't we push that a little further, you know? And, yeah, like, to your point, LeVon, like, you know, like, well, Elvis got away with it, right? Like, uh Maybe someone else can get away with it, and you know, with Purple Rain, he did get away with it, right? It's like it—it—I'm <laughs> sure it—it it helped uh, boost it in the you know the, the the you know the cultural mindset, the, the zeitgeist of the time, all that stuff. I mean, even though I remember in the '90s, like just seeing the poster for Purple Rain and thinking yeah. it was corny as hell. It's like this, like you know, the smoke like blowing past this like this ridiculous motorcycle and whatever and like he has a very super serious look on his face and uh and and it has that like insane like styling uh of of the title itself that again like you know in, in that 90s aesthetic where it was like let's strip everything down to the most basic you know uh also uh, anything that is um expressive in any way is not cool Right, like the, the, a very, very '90s thing. Like, so, so, like, you know, like seeing it from that perspective, what was so interesting, and like, and but how at that time in '84, like he he was in line with that 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 cultural zeitgeist, you know. It's and, and it's interesting to to hear it hear hear it thought about that way because I think to in similar to what Langston said for me, Prince was ubiquitous. Like, so my dad owned a, a clothing a small clothing store. Like, he mm-hmm. sold posters from Purple Rain and from the Purple Rain era. That was like a thing that was sold at his store. So I, I again, just Prince didn't become not cool to me 
until around Graffiti Bridge time when when that shift was happening and when I, as a kid, is coming into my own and like what I think, per, what I personally think is interesting musically is shifting. Like he and 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 again, love Michael Jackson, and, but I would say for me, a lot of people would disagree with this, but like dangerous, like so, so if Off the Wall is great, is on the way up. Thriller is when Mike is at his peak, if you will, and that's arguable. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I would say Bad is like over the peak a little bit, little behind the times. By the time he's uh, 91, black music is in is in full New Jack swing and actually on its way out of New Jack swing. And that's when Michael Jackson, the biggest pop star in the world, makes mm-hmm. his New Jack swing album. And so right. I say I, I say that in context to where I think Prince was. I'm, you know, if Purple Rain was that, like, was his thriller, for lack of a better way to put it, um, I feel like he peaked in being the zeitgeist there, but yep. the, his other albums are good, but they're, they're not, they're, because the mainstream wants another, pur- wants Purple Rain too, and Prince <laughs> is like, I'm an artist, don't box me in, I'm gonna do other shit that's still gonna be mind-blowing. And, it, and it's not until, I think, the, fa- the failure of Graffiti Bridge that he that Prince seems to take a step back because the album that follows Graffiti Bridge, the album and film is Diamonds and Pearls, which I mm. at that time, you know, so he peaks again, we'll say at Sign of the Times. So like 87 to maybe what 91, 92 when uh mm-hmm. Diamonds and Pearls comes out. Again, he's he's out of sync with with what's happening and he's He's still Prince, so he still gets mm-hmm. gets some props, but he's really kind of a little behind the times, and hmm. that, I think that's what makes Graffiti Bridge so cringeworthy to me. That it's like for me, it's the he goes maybe I need to to think about <laughs> like I don't know. He's it's like maybe I need to reconsider like going my own way all the time. Like maybe there there are things I can give them and still be me and still be Prince. That's not right. That doesn't feel. So I didn't see this movie when it came out. I saw it. I, I, this is all retroactive uh, looking at it. But I feel like I would have thought it was pretty cringeworthy at the time also. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, this right. is just like, this is bad, man. This is like a bad movie, bro. Like, well, and, 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 and that's just to clarify that that is what I meant. Like that, like, you know, in the sort of 90s, looking back at the aesthetics of 1984 there. Uh, yeah, you, you, you got some of that, that cringe. I mean, even though it was right on top of it culturally then but i'm saying like in like let's say even 1995 right like you're looking at like what popular culture is like then and looking back at what it was 11 years before that it it was it was just it was so different right and it's so like uh you know it it seems like from another world Hmm. yeah i'm just thinking about graffiti bridge sorry i'm shaking my head (laughs) graffiti bridge Bridge is rough man graffiti bridge is like it's the the whole spoken word aesthetic you know, right. I, I don't know. All just all of that just really seems rough. Really seems rough. So, all right, that's it. That's all I gotta say. Well, do you guys want to uh, plug anything? What you're working on? Any projects? Current projects? Uh, we'd love to hear about it here. Nothing to plug really, but you know, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Street Folk LCW, Instagram at Southside Supervillain, and I sometimes write at www.streetfolk.org. Um, I don't have anything to plug either. I'm I'm just out here working. You can follow me on Twitter at at Levon Williams on Twitter. Don't follow me anywhere else. I don't really do much anywhere else. Um, <laughs> but if if you're uh, <laughs> if if you're 
hardcore Prince fans who are very offended by the things that I said. I, I'm Jeremy Floyd. You can reach me yeah. at, <laughs> at, at Floyd Annoyed uh, on Twitter. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> well, we'll make sure to confuse those links in the in the in the description of this thing. So. <laughs> well, it was a real pleasure having you guys on. I hope we could do this Absolutely. again. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys for. This was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this. And thanks for coming with so much of the info too. Like that was that was really helpful, and and we, we love the one offset trivia. That's that's kind of what this is all about. So the, really appreciate it. Right on. Okay, great. And next week we are going to be looking at the Ed Gein trilogy with a returning special guest, Adam Ferberg, uh, who was on the Dark Side of Trek episode. We're going to be talking about Psycho from 1960, Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974 and Silence of the Lambs from 1991. Yet again, a triple block of horror that we just can't seem to get away from, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you'll be surprised to learn that we're doing horror again. You know, it's been so long. We, uh, we, uh, we didn't do horror last episode. Oh, wait, yeah, we did. Yeah, so just like some of our other discussions, we won't uh, be able to imagine remakes for these because they already exist uh, for at least uh, two of the three of them. And... Uh, and you know, it will be interesting to kind of like tie them all together because if you didn't know that they were connected with the sort of murders of Ed Gein, you would uh, be kind of surprised to see that there is some sort of connection between the three of them. Yeah, lots of similarities with these. Um, and uh, it, it's it's really interesting to go through these together. So looking forward to this one. Yeah, no, and, and it'll be fun because, uh, you know, Adam will make it uh, funny as well. So Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and follow us on all the podcasts and social platforms at the Grindhouse Institute. And if you really want to give us a boost, check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It helps us to get noticed. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll be back next week. Ciao. Okay, you two. Don't try anything funny. I want the money or I'll throw you both out onto the street. That's right, Cotton. Give me that Bella Lugosi look. Throw me onto the street, huh? Fascist.